I invite you to open up your Bibles and turn with me to Matthew chapter 16. This morning, Matthew chapter 16. We're going to begin right at the beginning of the chapter there. You know, over the past several weeks as we have looked at Jesus' ministry and as we've seen uh, both what the crowds and especially what Jesus' disciples witnessed from Jesus, uh, these uh, miracles that he performed, the healings, uh, there's something interesting that I'd like to highlight right here at the beginning about his disciples uh, you know, we had this account back in uh, chapter 14. Uh, chapter 14 began in verse 13 about uh, the 5,000 uh, people that were up on the mountain with Jesus and he was, uh, he was teaching them. And if you remember, they ran into a problem late in the day. They were up on the mountain. It was a desolate place. Uh, and the people didn't have enough food to eat. And so if you recall, the disciples looked at one another and they didn't know what to do. And, and so Jesus had, had told them, you give them something to eat. And I, and I love that message that he gave to the disciples. You give them something to eat. And then they did. He had them distribute the food out to the people. But it was by the power of Jesus because out of five loaves of bread and two fish, he multiplied and multiplied and multiplied so that everyone who was there uh, was fully satisfied. And then the disciples afterward went around and collected uh, what was left and came with 12 baskets of leftovers. You know, this was a, a sign or a miracle of gigantic proportions. We can only imagine what it would have been like if we were there. Uh, it wasn't hidden. Uh, it was out in the open. It was public. Uh, and then last week, at a completely different time, uh, we, we uh, saw this, uh, a very similar predicament that Jesus and his disciples were in when there were this time 4,000 people, and they were with Jesus, he was healing the people, and this time it was over a period of three days, but a very similar predicament in that uh, they were uh, away from Towns and uh, the people were hungry. At the, they, they had brought food probably, but they were about out of food. And so they needed food. And Jesus had compassion on them, it said. And, and he uh, said, we, we must feed them uh, lest they, they go home and, and become faint on the way and fall into harm. And so uh, now, how did the disciples respond to this this time? Very similar circumstance. Uh, and so, you know, we would think that they would say, well, well, Lord Jesus, you did it before. You can do it again. Uh, you can feed these people. But you remember what they said. They said, where are we to get enough bread in such a desolate place to feed so great a crowd? Uh, <laughs> there's a problem there. They, they failed to see and to remember, and, and we kind of wonder, why? Why were they so slow to see, so slow to understand? And so Jesus continued, and he, he repeated what he had done before and, and fed the 4,000. They, they picked up many leftovers uh, afterwards, seven baskets full. 
but we're, we're struck with the disciples' uh, challenges there. We can put it that way. Well, in today's passage, uh, in chapter 16, that Jesus' disciples are again portrayed in a very similar manner. Um, to put it bluntly, they're dense. They're slow. Uh, but we've got to say that with all affection, because if we look at ourselves... Or if someone else, we'll put it this way, if someone else were to look at us, I, I think that often they would come, come away with the same conclusion. They're dense. They're slow. They, they lack understanding. They lack, lack depth of perception. Uh, in this account, uh, we'll see as in other accounts, Jesus calls out the disciples and says, your faith is lacking. Yet with, with all of that... <laughs> that uh, characterizes the disciples. They are with Jesus. And that makes all the difference. You know, what this passage we're looking at this morning should help us to see is the great contrast between, between being like that, being like the disciples, uh, and uh, perhaps having it all together, and... Uh, being those who, are, who might be concerned about God, uh, might be concerned about the things of God, but who are against Jesus. So you've got the disciples on one hand, they're with Jesus. You've got others, and we're going to see them today, who are against Jesus. And we need to see, because it's not always clear, we need to see and to understand this stark difference between these two positions. So all I ask as I read uh, verses 1 to 12, chapter 16, Matthew's Gospel. I'll ask you to, to try to, to see that, and we'll walk through it uh, after that, to see these two different uh, positions. Beginning in verse 1, And the Pharisees and Sadducees came, and to test him, to test Jesus, they asked him to show them a sign from heaven. He answered them, when it is evening, you say, it will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning, it will be stormy today, for the sky is red and threatening. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. So he left them and departed. When the disciples reached the other side, they had forgotten to bring any bread. And Jesus said to them, Watch and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And they began discussing it amongst themselves, saying, We brought no bread. But Jesus, aware of this, said, Oh, you of little faith, why are you discussing among yourselves the fact that you have no bread. Do you not yet perceive? Do you not remember the five loaves for the five thousand and how many baskets you gathered? Or the seven loaves for the four thousand and how many baskets you gathered? How is it that you fail to understand that I did not speak to you about bread? Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Then they understood that he did not tell them to beware of the leaven of bread, but of the teaching 
of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Please join me in prayer. Father, we thank you uh, for the privilege that we too, like the disciples that we see here, that we are able to be disciples. We thank you for that privilege, Lord. Uh, And that in the same way, the Lord Jesus built into them and the Lord Jesus builds into us that we might see, that we might know. Uh, Yet at the same time, we are not unlike them, and and we know this if we're honest, um, in that we we are difficult, we can be slow, uh, and yet there's something tremendous that we see with them and something tremendous that we want to see with ourselves. And so I, I pray, Lord, that you would help us this morning to see and to understand, to grasp this, uh, this message that you have and to allow it to work upon our hearts, Lord, that we might be true disciples of yours growing in Christ. And we pray for your help in that. In Christ's name, amen. You know, one thing that I have discovered about those amongst us who are horticulturalists, if you know what that means, uh, those who, in other words, are experts when it comes to taking a, a garden and, and uh, cultivating that garden and uh, helping it to produce exactly what they planted and what they desired uh, for it to produce plants and veggies that they intend for it to grow. Uh, and, and we do have those amongst us who are able to do that. Uh, but one thing that I've, I've learned over time about them is how much time they spend dealing with a wide variety of things that oppose the growth of those plants that they're, they're trying to get to, to grow. You know, it's amazing if, if you hear from them uh, something about all the different types of attacks that come against the, the plants. It, it's a constant uh, effort there. And I'm just mentioning a few here, but you've got bugs and you've got weevils and you've got, uh, you've got weeds. And this time of the year, if you plant certain things a little bit early, uh, you've got the danger of the freeze coming on. Uh, and then you've got all the animals, the deer and the rabbits and birds uh, as well, many others, and not to mention the, the preparation of the soil that needs to take place ahead of time to, and other preparation in order to help prevent some of these things uh, as time goes on. Uh, you know, given all of that and much more, sometimes you might wonder how they get anything to grow. Uh, but the answer, of course, to that is that they are always ready. They're always ready to combat these Attacks, and they know something about what might come. And so they're working at it constantly. You know, the same thing is true about the gospel and about spiritual growth within the church and about spiritual growth within us as individuals. Scripture is constantly telling us to be on the alert, to be looking out for uh, external attacks. Uh, against that spiritual growth, as well as internal opposition, that which, that which seeks to tear down or to take us in a different direction uh, so that we're not building upon that one foundation, which is Jesus Christ. 
It's that type of warning that we read about earlier. And I just want to repeat some of these words that we read uh, when, when, when Paul was leaving this church, final time there, uh, and he, he said to them, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you. Uh, fierce wolves come in among you. He's talking about from, from the outside, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves. Here he's talking about internal opposition. Will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. And then these three words, therefore, be alert. You know, if you've been around the church for some time, in the inquirer's class this morning, we were talking about background within the church. And, and therefore, for some of us, we were able to talk about over the years, uh, this is the background. Well, if you've been around the church uh, for some time, you may have come to recognize uh, how, how great a concern this is. And I can tell you, uh, in fact, I, you know, I, we haven't talked about it a lot here. Perhaps we should have, but uh, just within our presbytery, which is Western North Carolina Presbyterian Church in America, I, I, you know, I and, and the, the elders uh, get to know this group and, and uh, meet with them often. Uh, but just within that group of churches, 27 churches, the two largest of those over the past few years have experienced this to a significant degree in different ways, uh, but to a significant degree. And it was something they didn't expect. Uh, you know, one thing that I've seen is this, this is an area where we can really become naive about it because we don't want to believe that here in maybe it's this denomination, or in this presbytery in our case, or in, in this group of people, in this church, with this leadership, uh, that these problems can exist. We think that this is something that happens out there, and we hear about it. Uh, yet, the warning that we have here, and it's a frequent warning in Scripture, should tell us otherwise. Uh, and that's, that's what we're getting uh, in this passage. Now, it's, it's only in the second part of today's passage that begins with verse 5, where, where we actually get these words where Jesus states it as a warning. Verse 6, Jesus said to them, watch and beware. Uh, but I, I would take it here uh, that this, this warning that's being given is actually this, this whole section that it, it goes together uh, because of, and you'll notice uh, beginning in verse 1, we've got this incident with the Pharisees and the Sadducees uh, together. He almost treats it as one group, and we'll talk about that in a moment. But uh, then down in the next section, it's the Pharisees and the Sadducees that he is pointing them to. And so there is a, a warning that uh, is being given here, and Matthew is, is giving that to us as one warning. Look at Chapter 16, verse 1, uh, where Jesus is calling about the opposition that comes from this one source. And he says, And the Pharisees and Sadducees came, and to test him, to test Jesus, they asked him to show them a sign from heaven. Now that's who Jesus is warning against in this passage. It's the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And 
And the big idea here in this passage, uh, as, as we walk through it, is watch out for those who are opposed to Jesus. You know, that may seem very general, very simple, uh, but it's the message that we're getting here. Watch out for those who are opposed to Jesus. Be, be ready. Be on the alert. Uh, now, one of the difficult things, even though this is, is pretty simple sounding, uh, we, we may think, well, that's not too difficult. One of the difficult things is recognizing who it is that is against Jesus. And we, we get clues to that as we go through this passage, but it's not always obvious. People don't always come out and say, you know, I stand against the Lord Jesus. In fact, they don't see themselves uh, that way most often. But there are a couple of things here that we get some help with. Uh, so again, this is a warning. So he's saying beware. Uh, and for one thing, he's saying beware of those who are always pursuing evidence. Evidence. In other words, they, they, they want something greater from Jesus. Something that's in addition to what He has done, in addition to what He has given, in addition to what He has said. There's always something more that's needed. Never satisfied with that which He has given, the evidence that is there. We should watch out for this. And, and yes, within ourselves, certainly. Uh, but also, especially, and that's what it's talking about here, in, in others. Watch out. Um, now notice that there are two groups here that are mentioned together, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Yet these two groups, we really look at the history, these two groups were, were in, in bitter opposition to each other. Uh, the Pharisees, they were very different. The Pharisees were conservative. Uh, they were generally liked and respected and, and listened to by the people. They were the ones, they, they were the group that was of the book. They knew the Word. They knew God's law. Now, the other group, the Sadducees, they were a much smaller group. They were the liberals. They didn't believe in the afterlife. They didn't believe in angels uh, or really anything else outside of the natural world. And they were the ruling party. For the most part, they were well off and generally disliked by the people. Now, just to put this into context, if you can imagine kind of the, the, the far left of the Democrats and the far right of the Republicans coming together on one issue to where people would even call them one group together. That's, that's I, I think about how radical this was, but that would only happen if both of those groups were vehemently opposed to something else or to someone else. And that was the case here. Together, they were against Jesus. He was a threat to that which they held most dear. He was a threat to their power, their authority, to their traditions. And so they joined forces against Him. Uh, and as we look at what they asked from Him Think about what we've seen over these past few weeks and what he had just done. And that's even setting aside the, 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 the thousands that he fed in a miraculous way. You know, last week we read about the great crowds that came up on the mountaintop uh, with him. Uh, 4,000, they brought the lame, 
the, the, the deaf. Uh, they brought uh, all those who were crippled, uh, lame, who, mute, who needed healing, many other diseases. And it just says that He healed them. And this continued over a span of three days. All of it, out in the open. It was public. And before that, he had gone to other regions, including down in Judea and Jerusalem, where these groups were coming from. Uh, and he had, he had healed people. He had cast out demons, healed lepers, turned water into wine. Most of it publicly. Now, that's the backdrop. And that's what these men who came to him already knew about Jesus. And they may have personally witnessed, they may have heard, uh, but, but clearly they knew these things. And it says here that they came to test Him. To test Him. They didn't come out of any inner need that they had, that they believed that He could meet, or, or out of genuine faith. No, they came to Him out of unbelief. And they said, give us a sign from heaven. That's what we need. Then we will believe that you are who you say you are. You know, all of Jesus' miracles up to this point had been clear signs that the Messiah had come. They authenticated who Jesus was. And they showed that he possessed a power that, that only God could possess. And yet here the Pharisees and the Sadducees are demanding a sign based upon their own timetable uh, based upon their own parameters that they've set up. And all of this just, stub- it just shows that they stubbornly refused to receive and to accept Jesus as the Messiah. Now, interestingly, Jesus points out to them as they request this sign, He points out to them that you know, they were kind of like the, the weather forecasters of, of the day in the sense that they could look at the skies that... It, and, and look at you know certain clouds that appeared, certain color of the sky, certain time of day, and with probably reasonable accuracy, they could tell what the weather was going to be like uh, that day, later that day, or, or the next day. And so Jesus says, you're able to interpret the skies and the signs that are there. But then he says, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. And Jesus went on to address them this way. He said, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign. They, they, they couldn't grasp that which was most important. Now they, could, they could tell the weather. They couldn't grasp that the Messiah had come, that the Savior had come, and recognize their own need for it. And so he says, an evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, and he refused to give them a sign. Now, now you might ask, well, why not? What did Jesus have to lose? It's not that he couldn't give them a, a, a miracle that they had requested. Uh, and so why not just go ahead? Because if he did, perhaps then they'd be forced into acknowledging who he is. So why not? Well, the answer, or an answer, is that it would do no good because their problem is not, or was not, a lack of evidence. In fact, they had all kinds of evidence, an abundance of it. But their problem was an unwillingness to accept the significance 
of the one who was amongst them. Their problem was a spiritual problem. And so Jesus said that they were evil. In other words, they were against God. And He said that they were adulterous. What He meant there was that they were clinging on to their own idols, the things that they loved and that they refused to let go of. Rather than recognizing the need of their own souls and turning to the only one who was able to meet that need and grabbing onto him. And so this is a spiritual problem that they had. And it can't be solved by evidence. The only thing that would help would be a spiritual solution. And so the Lord Jesus says the only sign he will give is the sign of of Jonah. And we know that would have confused them, certainly, uh, because that was a sign that hadn't happened yet. Yes, Jonah was in the belly of the whale for three days and three nights, as as Jesus describes back in chapter 12. Uh, But it was pointing to the Son of Man being in the belly of the earth for three days and three nights. And that after that, he, just like Jonah was spit out, he would be resurrected from the dead. That was the only sign. And like I said, what they needed was a spiritual sign. And that's a spiritual sign that they needed internally something uh, far more than they had. You know, this is so prevalent uh, today. People believing that what they really need is greater evidence. And so you may have seen this with people, or you you may have done it yourself. They they make a bargain with God. If you will do this in my life, then I will believe. Uh, Now, if somebody says that, I can promise you, if God did do that, whatever that is, in their life, I can promise you that it would not lead to their truly believing. Why? Why? Because the problem is not a problem of evidence. The problem that we've got to get past is a heart problem. You know, if their heart is inclined to something else and they're clinging on to something else, something that's fundamental to them, then they'll never be able to accept the evidence that's there, or really even to see it. And they'll always be looking for that next thing, something greater that's there. And that, that was the Pharisees and the Sadducees. In fact, Jesus said to them, you cannot interpret the signs of the times. He's speaking here in the words that he's using about a complete inability that they were unable to accept him as the Messiah because they stood against him. They loved their own sin too much. And that's something that... that we need to take to heart uh, because whether it's ourselves or others around us, there is this constant seeking after evidence. If I only had this, then I would see, I would believe the real issue is a spiritual issue. Now the disciples, on the other hand, are very different. They do have their problems. Uh, They may fall and stumble all over themselves. But there's a couple of things that are very different. They knew their need 
for a Messiah. You can't go through any of the, the four gospel accounts and just read through them and not be struck that, that these men knew their need for a Messiah. And the women later on who came, they, they knew their need for a Messiah. Uh, they also knew that they had found the only one who could meet that need within them. And they were able to verbalize that. They knew that they had found the Messiah in Jesus. They were ones who were able to interpret the signs of the times. That the Messiah had come. Now, that's going to be a big factor for us uh, next week when we get into this next really important uh, passage. But uh, maybe we can do a sneak peek this morning. Just look into a a couple of verses there. I, I want us to see... Uh, how they respond to a question of Jesus. In verse 15, uh, Jesus is going to say to the disciples, but who do you say that I am? Now, the Pharisees and Sadducees had already given their answer to that in that they didn't hold Jesus to be the Messiah. The crowds over time will give their answer to the Lord Jesus even with all the evidence that they have. But to this question, who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answers on behalf of the twelve and says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. You know, these disciples know, in spite of all their weakness, in spite of all their, their foibles, they know how to interpret the signs of the times. You know, what a wonderful thing it is. Think about it. Not to need to look for evidence. Not to even need it. I'm not saying that the, that the Lord doesn't provide it in volumes, uh, in different ways. But to not need that. Because God will not honor that request. It, he, he says that's an evil request, an adulterous request. It comes from the wrong place. Uh, but, but think, to, to know Him and not to need that, but simply to be able to give uh, an answer to Jesus' question like Peter gave. Um, because like the disciples, you've come to know your own need. And because like the disciples, you've come to see and to, to recognize He is the only one who is able to meet that need. There is forgiveness to be found in the Lord Jesus. Uh, he has done the work that we need in order that we might be saved in order that we might know God forever, that we might live eternally. And therefore, uh, to be able to answer the question and to say, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And yes, like the disciples, to have doubt that's there at times, but to come out of a place where you know where you stand. Uh, what a wonderful place in which to, to be and that's what we're, we're, we're called to. Uh, so first of all, beware of those who, unlike the disciples, were always, who are always pursuing, pursuing evidence, always looking for the next thing. And the second uh, that we see here is something that we might expect to find. Beware of those who seek to sway you, seek to move you by their teaching. In other words, make certain that the teaching that you receive, now this can be a challenge, right? The teaching that you receive is not their own teaching, but it is that of the Lord Jesus. It is the Word of God. Now, this 
And this is the, the second item beginning in verse 5. This is all about discipleship. Think about the, the Great Commission. We often call it uh, in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 28, verse 19. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. This is what we are to be about, making disciples. If you remember uh, how Jesus had said this is to be done, he gives two ways. One is by baptizing, bringing in uh, to the body. But the second, he says, by teaching them all that I have commanded you, those words are important. Teaching them all that I have commanded you. In other words, teaching them God's Word. You know, in this section, beginning in verse 5, Jesus is warning about those who would teach their own doctrine. But He calls upon the disciples and upon us uh, to, to be careful. If someone's teaching their own doctrine, beware. Uh, run away. Uh, Teach them all that I have commanded you. Now, if you look at verse 6, you'll see the warning there that Jesus gives. Watch and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Now, this word that he uses, leaven, is going to cause the disciples here uh, quite a bit of, of grief. There's a misunderstanding that takes place. Now, leaven physically was, and you may know this, it's, it's kind of like, uh, uh, sourdough. It was that, that bit of dough that they hung on to and they'd have there in the household anytime they were going to begin to make bread. And it was that which worked its way throughout the, the bigger lump of dough and, and made the bread rise. And so they'd always have to use this. That's what leaven was. Uh, and, and there's a problem here because the disciples, if you look at verse 5, the disciples had just realized that they had forgotten to bring bread with them. And so when Jesus makes this statement to them, they thought that he was talking literally about bread. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and, and Sadducees. In fact, they, they must have thought he was saying something like this. Don't buy your bread from the Pharisees and Sadducees. And, and then we see the disciples just talking amongst themselves and we can just imagine what they were saying. They were trying to figure out, perhaps, well, why would he have said that? We're not going to see the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Uh, but that was where their mind was. But Jesus wasn't speaking literally. He was using the word leaven, as we often see it. We would take it that way, because we most often see it that way in Scripture. He was using it figuratively. And so Jesus calls them out on it. And this is what I would... I would call this, I think it was, a gentle rebuke. And he says to them, this is in verse 8, O oh, you of little faith, why are you discussing among yourselves the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive? Now, understand what Jesus is doing here. He's giving them the same spiritual lesson that we so desperately need at times. He's saying, why is it that you know me, you've been with me, you've known all this about me, and you know about the biggest problem that you face in this world, why is it that your eyes and your minds are so preoccupied with your physical needs while what I'm bringing to you is your spiritual need, yet you set that aside 
because your mind is preoccupied with that which is right in front of you. Do you get that? Uh, because we need that same lesson. Jesus is, and while He goes on to say to them, don't you remember when I fed the 5,000 with five loaves and, and afterward you picked up uh, 12 baskets of leftovers? And, and don't you remember, you know, and you can just imagine they're hearing this and thinking about the weight of this. Don't you remember the, the, the 4,000 that I fed with, uh, you know, it was seven loaves and you picked up seven baskets afterward? And you're concerned that your physical needs will not be provided for? Oh, you of little faith, should you not rather, this is his question to them and question to us, should you not rather have a far greater concern for your spiritual needs so that that's first and foremost in your mind? Knowing that I will provide for your physical needs but first and foremost, that your mind go to this, to that which I am bringing to you, that which I am trying to show you. Now, I will say it's got to be comforting, doesn't it, that Jesus is gently rebuking the twelve for this, or rebuking his disciples, uh, so that when we take this and we apply this to our own lives, uh, we find ourselves in good company because if I were to ask you about this very particularly uh, and individually uh, and, and to ask where is it that you might fail to have an eye open to what God is, is doing spiritually in your life and the lessons that, that He is trying to show you spiritually and, and, and you're blind to that because you're so intent in dealing with your physical needs when we really look at ourselves and, and see that, you know, I think it, it is helpful to know that this was given to the disciples because they needed it. And of course, he's not saying our physical needs are not important. All he's saying is that I provide for those as well. We're called to trust in him. Now, going back to Jesus' message to his disciples, which they misunderstood, uh, he repeats it again in verse 11. And he emphasizes here that he's not speaking about physical bread. You know, how, how is it that, I, that you fail to understand that I did not speak about bread? But he repeats his warning. He says, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. You know, he, he's drawing them to learn from him a spiritual lesson. And again... Uh, leaven was used here figuratively. Uh, it's often used biblically to talk about the, the, the evil of corruption that kind of works its way throughout the dough, just like leaven does, so that it's all the way throughout, but it takes time and, and it ends up ruining that which is good. And so now he's bringing that to the disciples and he's telling them to, to watch out. And then the light does come on. It dawns upon them, verse 12, then they understand he did not tell them to beware of the leaven of the bread, the physical bread, but of the teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Now again, but in a different way, he's, he's telling them to recognize this clear indication that there, was, there were groups that were there. They were opposed to the Lord Jesus. Uh, their, their teaching could be infectious 
uh, sounded in many ways right. Uh, they sounded, they were, they were the religious ones. Uh, they taught what is, what is right and good and what you must do in order to present yourself in a certain way before the Lord. All of that was there and it sounded so good. But they were against Jesus. They were unlike the disciples in this way. And what he's telling them is, beware because this will silently and quietly work its way throughout the whole body. And that's the way it happens for us as well, doesn't it? Now, we've got to recognize that, that any time we are under teaching, that the whole design of that is, is for it to, to change us, to affect us. And that is what it does. And therefore, if it's, if it's teaching, no matter how good it may sound, but it is teaching that ultimately stands in ways against the Lord Jesus, against His purposes, then it's going to be that which will lead us astray, that which will lead us to stand upon a different foundation, which is not Jesus Christ. Uh, now, Jesus doesn't elaborate here on the specifics of the teaching. In fact, that which was of the Pharisees was very different in many ways from that which was of the Sadducees. And, and so he's speaking here in a general way. But what he's saying, I think, is that we are to be like the Bereans. Remember that place in, in Acts chapter 17? I think it was uh, Paul's second uh, journey. And we, we hear about he went to those in Thessalonica... And then we, we read that uh, now he came to Berea, and there the Jews were different than those in uh, Thessalonica. It says that they received the word with all eagerness, number one, examining the Scriptures daily to see if these things were so. That's exactly what Jesus is calling for there, for us to be like the Bereans, recognizing uh, and we've got to see this here. I mean, the disciples themselves lack in knowledge, right? And so there is going to be teaching that lacks in knowledge. It, it, it's short. There are shortcomings in some ways, and we, and we shouldn't put that in the same category. No, here he's talking about teaching, which ultimately is against the Lord Jesus. And it's taking in a different direction. It's building upon a different foundation. And there he's saying, beware. Uh, because the truth is you will be affected by that teaching that you sit under. That's the whole point. And so it is our task to know what we're being taught and to know of its accuracy and to use that which God has provided us to, to help to keep us in that right place. And he tells us to be diligent about that. Uh, and that may be an area where you see for yourself, I need to be a part of a Bible study. I need to, on my own, I need to begin day after day to read God's Word, to seek the right resources, uh, come together with those that can help me to, to see and to understand so that I can recognize errant teaching. Uh, we need to have the desire inside, like the Bereans. So two things out of this. Uh, beware of those who are pursuing evidence, who are looking for the next, next thing when it comes to the Lord Jesus, something greater in order to take that step. Uh, beware of that. And then secondly, beware of those who are teaching their own doctrine. Make sure you see and you, you understand and are 
are informed as you walk together uh, with the church. We need to make sure that we're standing upon that one foundation. Remember the, the verse that we read earlier out of 1 Corinthians chapter 1? For Jews demand signs, and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Notice, a spiritual solution for a spiritual problem. And that is what the Lord Jesus gives us. We are to stand upon that and upon that alone. Please join me in prayer. Father, we thank You as we read these things this morning and we, we see the stark warning that's there. Thank You, Lord, that we can know that You have provided for us, that as we look to You and as we use the resources, the means of grace that You have given, that we can know, Lord, that You will keep us and that You will preserve us and that we will continue on. Yes, uh, we will fall back at times. Yes, uh, we will be like we see with the disciples sometimes. And uh, we will be weak. We will not uh, be of faith uh, in the same way uh, we will lack. But as we look to You, thank You that You've given that which will carry us forward and that in the hands of our God that we will never fall away. We thank You and we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.